0: We're going to be in Ezra chapter 8 this afternoon. This is a long chapter, and it begins with 15 verses of <clears throat> names and genealogies and census data. And I thought, what better thing to focus on after eating a heavy meal on a Sunday afternoon? <laughs> but hopefully, uh, we're not gonna, we are not going to minimize the importance of every word in the Scriptures. Every word is important. Um, But for the sake of what we're doing here, I'm not going to take the time to read through all of these verses. I would encourage you to take time because we're going to, instead of taking all of chapter 8 in one chunk, um, I'm going to uh, take it in smaller pieces, basically divide it into three. And these will be briefer messages, especially since we have the Lord's Supper this afternoon and some other things coming up in the next two Sundays. Um, that we want to do. Um, two weeks from today will be Independence Day, July 4th, and so we'll have sort of a patriotic theme that day, and uh, we'll, we will have an afternoon service uh, on the briefer side. There is a, uh, a social opportunity. It's not a re- necessarily religious, although there will be some religious music at a community concert given at the Alabama Theater. It's free. Uh, It's put on by the city of North Myrtle Beach, and so uh, anybody that would like to be part of that, we thought that we would just kind of, after the afternoon service, head down there and just enjoy some good patriotic uh, music, about an hour to an hour and a half concert. And then um, some people might want to get together and go watch fireworks later in the evening, and that could be something that we could look at doing, too. So, you know, a little opportunity to do some things together as the body of Christ Um, that are just fun and enjoyable to do as well. And that's that's good too. So tonight, today, tonight, I'm still in six o'clock mode, right? Um, This afternoon, we're going to look at just one portion of Ezra chapter 8. And we're talking about what I'm describing as the careful advancement of the ministry. Often, there is some misunderstanding Uh, by God's people and sometimes by the leadership uh, within ministry as to what we are to be doing and how we're supposed to be doing it. And, of course, the book of Acts is a great place to go, probably the primary place to go for us trying to figure out how to be a church. But there are other places in Scripture where I think we're given some guidelines uh, about how to carry out ministry, because they were doing ministry in the Old Testament, right? It wasn't the church. It was the children of Israel, but they still had ministry. They were doing worship, and that's what Ezra is about. So just a reminder, they've come out of captivity. They've gone back to the promised land. They've come back to Israel, to Jerusalem. The primary project is to do what? Rebuild the temple, right? It was destroyed when Babylon came in, Nebuchadnezzar came in, they, they looted it, they took all, all the valuables out, but they, they destroyed that and they destroyed the walls too. Basically, they razed the city of Jerusalem. And of course, Nehemiah is the, the story of rebuilding the walls. Ezra and Zerubbabel, being also a key figure in this story as well, is the saga of the people coming back with the purpose of, let's rebuild the center of worship. And that takes place first. Let's, you know, take care of God, give him the priority. And I always tell people, you know, there's no no specific statements, you know, in the Bible. People are planning to make a move. I'm like, if you're planning to make a geographic move, find your church first and then figure out where you're going to live. Right. Um, And and because that's what Ezra, let's let's get the church built. Let's get the temple built. Then we'll take care of the walls and the houses after that. Um, and so I think there is a, an importance if we not diminish the idea of where we uh, need to carefully move forward in advancing the ministry. God uses us, excitedly so, as instruments to do the ministry. Uh, we, we do that just like they did in the book of Acts. We do it just like they did um, in the book of Ezra. So by the time we get to chapter 8, the temple's built, right? Now you, you're not done, now it's start worshiping, start engaging in worship. But there are right ways and there are wrong ways. There are things to be addressed in here. And so we're going to look at this in three chunks. And today, as we're talking about the careful uh, advancing of the ministry, we're going to talk about discerning and demanding. These are the, the needs for the journey of developing the ministry. So we're going to be looking at verses 1 through 15 and also verses 16 through 20 here. And let's talk about those two things, discerning and demanding. What do I mean by discerning? Well, figuring out what our ministry needs, right? Now, how do we do that? Do we just take a poll of people and say, what do you think ministry needs are? Or do we say there ought to be a way to go to God and find out what the ministry needs are? And, and the answer is God has given us some direction in his word in figuring out how ministry is to be done. He did, does it for the church. He also did it in the Old Testament for Israel. So the first thing Ezra does is, in verses 1 through 15, is not a counting of money. He's not appraising the valuables that they have to come up with a dollar amount. What you have here, if you just, and we'll just read a couple verses in so you get the idea here. Uh, Verse 1 These are now the chief of their fathers, and this is the genealogy of them that went up with me from Babylon in the reign of Artaxerxes the king, of the sons of Phinehas, Gershom, and the sons of Ithamar, Daniel, of the sons of David, Hattash, of the sons of Shechaniah, of the sons of Perosh, Zechariah and with him were reckoned by genealogy of the males, 150 of the sons of Patham Moab and Elia Honai, the sons of Zerahiah, and with him 200 males. And so it's going to go on talking about specific people, their family groups, and it's going to give a count. What does that number represent? Is it their bank account? No, what is it? The number of people, right? It's a a recognition of warm bodies, exactly. So the first thing he's doing here is a counting of the people. There were, and you can can double-check my figures if you want, but I sat and added these up, there were 1,754 males with additional family members totaling as much as 7,000, because we don't know how many children and so forth like that there might have been. And then there might have been servants that came along too that might not have been equated in that count. Because they're talking about heads of families. But I want you to notice in verse 15. So here's Ezra, and he says, And I gathered them together to the river that runneth, Ahaba, and there abode we in tents three days, and I viewed the people and the priests, and found, or we could say, discovered there none of the sons of Levi. Oh, no. We've got a problem on our hands. So what's exactly going on here? Well, the term or the phrase gathered together carries the idea of a careful collection. So whatever Ezra is doing here, he's very methodical about it. It's very important. It's It's a top priority for him. He wants to make sure nothing gets omitted or overlooked in all of this. The other word here is the word viewed. The Hebrew word literally means to separate. It has the idea of discerning, you know, because when you're looking at something um, with discernment, you're separating, you know, this from that. This is good, this is bad, this is valuable, this is not valuable. So that's what he's doing here when it talks about him viewing. He's not just glancing over it. Hey, great looking crowd. He, He is very carefully going through their and assessing what's going on here. So this is a rendezvous at the river. And what they came up with was, out of everybody that was there, remember, there's over 1,700 males, and out of that, there was no what? There were no Levites. Why does that matter? There's 12, 12 tribes, so maybe there was someone from every other tribe. But why is it why is it important that there be Levites? Levites were involved in what? They carried out the worship. Now this this could give you a dilemma, right? It was a dilemma. So immediately you have a problem to solve. One one way of approaching it would be to say, well, based on our extenuating circumstances, you know, we can just appoint whoever, since there are no Levites. But you know, there's a precedent in Scripture where God's work needed to be done God's way. And people in faith said, we're not just going to shortcut things. We have a modern parallel. When I say modern, a New Testament parallel that we're still following the blueprint. In the book of Acts, the church just explodes, right? It's like one of these amazing... Chia plants that, you know, you wake up the next morning and boom, it's, it's there, you know. in um, one day, there's an explosion of thousands of believers. And now you have a church. And you had elders. You had pastors, right? They were there. They were there preaching and teaching. But they soon learned that there were other needs other than just praying for the people and preaching to the people. The, preachable, the people had tangible needs. And there were widows in the church. And they were being neglected. They didn't have families. And so the pastors having the heart that they did, they did the right thing. We thought, well, we've got to take care of these ladies. But after a while, they realized this is taking up a lot of our time. Not that this isn't a priority, but they realized maybe this isn't a priority for us. So we've got to solve this problem. Prayed. Spirit of God Led we're now given a pattern that we still follow today by the institution of an office that's based on a spirit-given gifts right and we call those men that serve in that office what deacons right and the new testament as you go into the pastoral epistles first and second timothy and titus we see some guidelines that god cares and we ought to care what God cares about when it comes to delineating how we're going to advance ministry. How are we going to go forward? And sometimes you can be putting a rock in a hard place, can't you, when it comes to certain things? It's like, well, I just don't know how we're going to have deacons. Because I look at the list of qualifications, and you know what? I'm not, and I've heard this from pastors. I've heard this from people in churches. I don't know how we're going to have deacons because we don't, I don't know that we have anyone that's qualified. And so what do they do? Unfortunately, sometimes what they do is they start skirting some of the qualifications. What should be done? Well, what should be done is get on your knees and pray and say, God, we want to do ministry your way. You're going to have to raise up the people. We, I mean, think about it. We're doing God's ministry. Don't we think God's viewpoint of it ought to matter more than anything else? It really does begin with a a passion, a burden. And I think Ezra is going to exhibit this burden and this passion. and And maybe this was something that really caught him way off guard. I get the impression that maybe it did. It probably never occurred to him that... He's going to, you know, hey, we're building the temple, the temple's built, and it's like, okay, let's do it. What? We don't have any Levites? You know, who missed that one, right? Sometimes I think that God providentially creates situations to see how much we'll trust Him. I mean, it wasn't just an accident. It wasn't just fate. It was God's hands are all over this. When we were up in Chicago for eight years at our former ministry, I was the children's pastor. And, um, and so I, was, I had different people that served in other small capacities doing things like beginners children's church. I mean, we had three different children's churches because it was a large ministry. And then there was the interaction between the, the church ministry and the really large Christian school, which had an enormous preschool. I mean, just a gigantic preschool. And so they had, a aside from the principal of the school, they, they had so many preschoolers, they had to have basically an administrator just of the preschool. And this lady was just cut out for this, this ministry, this role. Her name was Linda. And, um, but... The school also did lots of plays, like schools do, right? And they, they were fun plays. It was, it was a good dimension extracurricular for the students in the junior high and high school and elementary. And so she was a seamstress, a really good seamstress. And so, you know, if they put on a, a play, she would want to make costumes, right? I mean, that really makes it look so much better. This brought it back to my mind because my brother just sent us back with a bunch of children's costumes from, that he doesn't need anymore. And he's like, I'm donating them to your church. So we brought back angel wings and all kinds of stuff, you know. And um, so anyhow, Linda's making play after play after play, costume after costume, and they're different, different plays. So you, you, know, you don't always have the same costumes in every play, right? And different sizes. After a while, what happens? Well, you could burn out. She, she hadn't got to that point yet, but you have a problem with storage. That's right. Where do we put all these costumes? And so this was a really large church, okay? But even, you learn something, no matter how big a church is, it uses every square inch it has. <laughs> and so she was, she was tired of having it all in her basement, you know, and, and exploding out the doors into her kitchen and stuff. And she's like, there's got to be a place. And so I remember her and she, she was very sweet, but very persistent. She was the only one that I think that could go to our senior pastor. Who was kind of a bulldog kind of guy and get to his heart of gold. And she would just go in and she would just be very talk. So say, you know, oh, pastor, I was looking at this area and I was just wondering, do we have a use for that? Could I repurpose that? You know, and, oh, you know, he'd look and it come back. She kept up. Eventually, she found a, a spot in the attic of what we called the A-frame, which was the original church, and the church had gone through three different auditoriums over its history. So this was the original uh, auditorium, and, and shaped like an A-frame, had an attic, and it was just packed full of all kinds of stuff. And nobody wanted to mess with this stuff. And he said... If you go through all that stuff up there and you can create a wardrobe room for you, it's yours. Well, you might have said "sick them to a bulldog. (laughs) And, you know, the person I felt most sorry for was her husband. (laughs) Because poor Mike, uh, he was up there building shelves and rods to hang stuff in there. But you know what? It turned into the most amazing wardrobe storage organized. You remember that place, you know? And it just, and I thought, here was the passion of a person that didn't give up. Just kept going at it, said, there's a need, there's a need, there's a need. Didn't settle until it was done the right way. And it really was the perfect spot for it. To this day, I have no idea what she did with all that stuff, okay? (laughs) And nobody seemed to care or question about it. But as I think about the ministry, I'm like, isn't that what we need? We need people like Ezra's that will say, you know, I'm looking over what we have, what the needs are. But we need function. We need ministry to happen. But it's got to be done the right way. So we need to have discernment, the eye of discernment, and that has to be driven by our understanding of the Bible. Secondly, there is the demand. Just like there is the discernment for ministry needs, There's a a demand for ministry completeness. Notice verses 16 through 20. It says, Then sent I for Eliezer, for Ariel, for Shimei. And he goes on and lists these different men. And in the end of verse 16, he calls them men of what? Men of understanding. Okay. And then verse 17, he says, And I sent them with what? commandment he gave a commandment upon realizing that there were some gaps in the personal needs he felt compelled to resolve the issue before embarking any further let's let's deal with this issue before we go any further he had patience because it was new he knew it was critical to have the right people in capacities of service it's not just a matter of stick a warm body person there we need the right person doing the right job right Is that still true today, folks? It really is. And in verse 17, at the end of the verse, it says that they should do what? That they should bring unto us ministers for the house of God. We don't have them. We need them. We're short on Levites. So we need to go get them. Okay, that was the need. But what's the the appeal was Ezra did not. Uh, assemble the men of understanding just for counsel he knew what was needed there, there wasn't a lot of debate here what's the need Ezra we need Levites okay he could pull more men together to do that the men of understanding why does he need men of understanding if they're not to help him well we we've sat and talked about this we've had a three day summit and we think we need Levites uh, we already knew that right it is so, if you go down to verse 18, and by the good hand of our God upon us, they brought us a man of what? So it took men of understanding to get a man of understanding. See how that works? You know, churches, as the Lord tarries in His return, there's, going, there's always going to be turnover, isn't there? We've, we've lost some dear people, and I say lose them. We've graduated them on in different ways. Some to glory. Some have relocated geographically. Lord's brought new people in. Sometimes people will visit the church, and they haven't been here in several years. And they'll say, wow, I hardly know anybody. You know, it's been so long. And I'm like, well, the Lord's blessed us with new people, and some people are gone. You know, if the Lord tarries and... I'm thinking, long-term here, I won't always be here as the pastor of Anchor Baptist Church. Not because I'm looking to go to a different church, but, you know, you don't want me preaching when I'm 102 up here and I can't find my car keys, okay? We're somewhere here in the Bible. No. But you know what this church does need? It needs discernment. When we were up... At the pastor's conference, I'm a, one of my dear friends that I get together with about every two months, we're in a, a group, I've mentioned it before, we call it our whetstone group. We get together a prayer, fellowship, we, do a, we read a book, a Christian book together, and then discuss it. And I've been one of these guys we've been praying for because for years, he's felt the Lord leading him, leading him, you know, in the need to step out of the pulpit ministry. Like, you know, and he's, he's, he's not ancient or anything like that he's still got a lot of years of ministry left in him but he just feels like it's time for a younger guy to come in and take the church on to the next level and still be a help in some way he can but just not the senior pastor anymore and so the prayer has been you know lord bring a younger guy in that can i can mentor and he can be with us a year or two and then the church can be handed over to him and off they go right And so this has been a prayer request for several years. And they've looked at a guy here, looked at a guy there. It seems like it works. It doesn't work. And so my one friend tells me, he says, guess what? I said, what? He said, and he mentions the guy's name. He says, he just announced to his church last Sunday that he's stepping down from the pulpit ministry. I'm like, when? Like, now? (laughs) I'm like, really? He said he just came to him and he realized that, you know, perhaps that's what God was telling him. He felt like that was what God was telling him to do, that maybe he was in the way, and that he needed to step away. And I'm like, wow, that's a real step of faith. But what I, as I was thinking about it and praying for him the next morning, as I was having my devotions and I was praying, I was praying for the church. And it's a church that, in our rotation of pastors and churches that we pray for on Sunday morning, it's one that we pray for. And i found myself thinking, I'm like, you know, it's, it's out of his hands now, you know, When he steps away, they they may come to him, but basically there'll be a pulpit committee that'll be formed. Who will that be? Well, might be some deacons, might be someone elected out of the the general congregation. But then ultimately the congregation will, you know, they'll bring someone in, they'll hear him, they'll get to know him, they'll vote on him. They want as their pastor, that church wants as their pastor, a man of understanding. Is that a fair statement? I mean, if that church is going to stay where in the, in the direction, the good direction it's been, it's a solid church, a solid church. They need a pastor that's a man of understanding. He gets it. He, he has a solid belief in the Word of God. He knows how to apply it to a modern worldview without bending in, in, in faith to the world and capitulating. It takes a man of understanding. If they're going to get a man under of understanding, they have to have what? Men of understanding. Exactly. So what is that? How does that apply to us here at Anchor Baptist Church? Like I said, I won't always be here someday. We need to pray, God, help our church congregation always to be growing, always developing spiritually, that we always have people of understanding so that this ministry will continue as Jesus tarries to hold a line that it has a strong belief in the Word of God and the fundamentals of the faith. And it's easy for a church to say, well, well, that's all right, we'll just get the right pastor. When Pastor Wood's no longer here, we'll get the next right pastor. That won't happen unless you folks continue to be people of understanding, right? We need discernment, but the demand of ministry is that we be the right kind of people. And then notice verse 19. And Hab and Hashabiah and with him and Jeshiah and the sons of Miriah and his brethren and the sons 20 also of the Nethanyms who David and the princes had appointed for the service of the Levites, 220 Nethanyms and all they that were expressed by name. It's not what I was looking for there. Um, down lower, uh, he, he talks about, I've, I've missed my, I wrote down the wrong, oh, they were a, that they were a man of understanding, okay? So God's hand is upon them because they have this priority of being the right kind of people before the Lord in their understanding of scriptures. So vacancies are going to exist for many reasons in the service of the Lord. People move or are active, but the Lord can always fill those gaps if we will persist in prayer and be people of the book. So may God help us as we continue to talk about advancing ministry in the right kind of way. And the Lord would help not just our church, but other churches as well. Uh, And and praying for, and I'm not saying the name of this church because I'm not quite sure if it's been a public announcement, but I will at some point probably announce and encourage you, pray for this church as they're searching for their next pastor. And you know what? At any given point, there's lots of churches that are at this exact moment in that spot. They're they're looking for God's man to fill that spot. We need to pray that God would help the people to be people that are looking for a man of understanding because they are men of understanding. Father, thank you for your word. (laughs) We thank you for your truth. Lord, I pray that you would help us to carefully advance ministry, not in our strength, Not in our ingenuity, but in our trust in You. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.